Hey there, I'm Amanda Soler, founder of SoulfulLiving.com and creator and host of this podcast, Soulful Connections. This podcast offers a way to connect the dots between the lives we're living and the lives we want to live. You'll get to meet or get to know better people in our community who are willing to share what makes their lives meaningful, what brings them joy, and even how they've overcome obstacles that have been thrown their way. So find a cozy spot or keep driving and doing what you're doing, and let's connect. Let's talk about connection. So I am excited to have with me a local celebrity, Chuck Hall, who is very well known here in Bucks County as a business leader, consultant, coach, marketing expert. And he's known here, but he doesn't live here. He lives in Atlanta, Georgia. He's also a father of three. He's married and he's just a very interesting, well-rounded person. And I'm excited because I get to interview him. <laughs> so welcome, Chuck. Well, thank you, Amanda. I think you're the celebrity here. Everybody knows you in Bucks County. Did I miss anything in my introduction of you? No, that, that was good. So right now we're conducting this podcast. You, we're, we're we're virtual. You are in a hotel room right now. Yes, indeed. That's kind of exciting. Very, I think, cosmopolitan. <laughs> what um, What are you doing now? Like, what is going on in your life? Can you tell me what's going on right now? Well, sure. Uh, thank you, Amanda. Um, my wife Amy and I moved to Georgia five years ago. Um, to be closer to her parents who were elderly and in bad health. And uh, also cost of living in Georgia is much lower. Um, I have clients in the Philadelphia area uh, and I have clients in Atlanta. So I spend most of my time and my residence is in Atlanta, but I come to Doylestown every month um, and stay at my mother's house in Doylestown Borough. So um, I'm busy working with clients on what I consider really exciting things, um, some things having to do with mergers and acquisitions and uh, organizational assessments and executive coaching and team building. Uh, and I really love what I'm doing. Um, and I, I work both uh, virtually and in person. So, so you already were working virtually. A lot of us were not. How did the pandemic affect you? Well, so I was, I was working really what people would call hybrid. Um, so I was meeting with clients uh, every month in person and then doing a lot of the work uh, via Zoom or Teams. And one of the things that was uh, really a commitment of mine is I said to clients before the pandemic, I think it's essential that we meet in person at least once a month. Um, and so then when the pandemic hit, um, I, would, I was happy to see that all of my clients 
transition to 100% virtual and actually uh, business picked up a little bit for me in the first year of the pandemic. So would you say that your feelings about the pandemic, I mean, obviously it's horrible to be in the midst of uh, an environment where there's an infectious disease going around basically or an infectious virus, but um, did you kind of handle it all with equanimity or how, how was it treating you, you know, emotionally and in, and in other ways? Yeah, so the pandemic was hard on almost all of us um, and hard in, for me in some ways, probably different than others. Um, one of the things I work with a behavioral assessment instrument that helps us kind of understand how people are wired for business. And about a third of the population actually works very well remotely. Um, we tend to be kind of private and reserved um, and, and adapt well to, to working out of an office environment. I happen to be in that one third of the population. So the work part was an easy transition for me. Um, one of the things that happened for me during the pandemic and not COVID related, but I got uh, very sick and ended up in the hospital for four and a half days. Um, and it completely changed uh, my view on life and the work I do um, and, and lots of things. Um, so, you know, whether me getting sick was a byproduct of the pandemic, you know, more sedentary lifestyle, not watching my health as much. Um, but uh, that was the big change of the pandemic for me. And did it change? Like, was it a positive change, would you say, ultimately? Maybe it was a negative during, how did, how did it change? Well, so it was, it was massively positive within the framework that I use to view my life. Um, so um, I have learned since being hospitalized that I suffer from medical PTSD, um, which started with uh, adverse childhood medical and dental experiences. And that kind of affected me to the point that for 20 years, I got no medical care whatsoever. I literally could not cope with going to a doctor's office or having blood tests or any other type of tests. Um, and I only went to the dentist when I was in pain and knew that I needed dental care. Um, so after I got out of the hospital and started working with a psychologist and learned that um, what's been going on for me has a name and it's medical PTSD, um, it has opened up a whole door of self-understanding uh, and given me uh, new ways to kind of view myself in the world um, and a lot more empathy for people around me and, and the battles that we're all going through. That's so interesting. And I'm sure that everybody can relate to that or most people can relate to that on some level. You are such an entrepreneur. You know, I just, when I think of the word entrepreneur, your, your face pops up. <laughs> Do you think that you'll take this information that you have personally and do anything with it in an entrepreneurial way? Well, you know, that's interesting. Um, so entrepreneurialism um, connotes doing something for profit, right? And 
right now I am giving away everything that I am learning about medical PTSD. Um, I'm just reaching out and helping people. I'm sharing information on Clubhouse. Um, I write about it on LinkedIn. Um, today, I spent an hour on the phone with a woman who was suffering from medical PTSD, who was just asking me for my advice on some of the next steps she could take to start to manage her own care. Um, and I'm very clear with people, I am not a psychologist. You know, I'm not a therapist. This is just me giving kind of my heartfelt perspective um, to people. So who knows who knows what may come? Um, you know, people have told me, oh, you should have a podcast, you should have a book. Um, my therapist suggested that I get certified because I'm, I'm an executive coach. He suggested I get certified to be a trauma coach, which I didn't know such thing existed um, until he suggested that to me. Uh, so, you know, we'll, we'll see what comes. That's so fascinating. Um, so can, I, I love to find out about people's childhoods. I know, you know, your father, speaking of community leaders, I know your father was a leader in the community. Can you talk a little bit about your childhood? Yeah, so sure. I grew up in Doylestown Borough. I was born at the old Doylestown Hospital um, that is now a nursing home. And uh, my father had a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week towing business and car repair business. So everybody in the town knew him. Uh, he was also a volunteer firefighter and for many years, uh, fire chief or assistant fire chief. And so kind of our family life centered around community service. Um, now, this is the part that most people don't expect me to say, um, but as I grew up, I came to realize the sacrifices that my father made um, for, from our family, the time that he gave to the community um, and my mother was also in the ladies auxiliary of the fire company. Um, and so what I consider to be kind of a normal childhood, um, we did not have. Um, it was still, you know, a very good childhood and uh, my parents did not have a lot of money. Um, my father could have made a lot more money if he was less generous with his time. Um, and he ended up doing a lot of free or very reduced price car repairs for people who, who needed that. Um, and so what this has done for me as an adult is it has caused me to wanna to create um, boundaries of how much community service I do. Um, and uh, when my kids were young, I was very jealous of the time that I took away from them to give to other things in the community. You know, it is interesting, though, because you did just tell me that all of your knowledge that you have right now, you're giving away for free, and you just spent an hour on the phone with somebody. So it is really an interesting parallel that I'm drawing between yeah. you and your father as I'm listening, yeah. you know. Yeah, but, but you know, I make, um, I make adequate money in my coaching and consulting services to businesses. And it's really more that I'm giving my time away to individuals in need. Um, ironically, one of the things my therapist shared with me is that many therapists and most medical professionals do not even know that medical PTSD exists. So 
you know, as I'm sharing publicly, you know, naturally people are coming to me and saying, you know, what is this? I might have this too. Um, you know, how should I proceed to get help? Um, and in all cases, I direct people to information resources and recommend the services of professional therapists. talking a little bit uh, before we jumped on the podcast about childhood expectations. Mm. So when you were a little boy, did you have a vision of what your future was going to look like? Yeah. So, you know, a lot of kids have kind of, you know, fantastical ideas. Um, so I went to Doyle Elementary um, and I was really interested, I had an uncle in the Navy, so I was really interested in like World War II and the military and stuff like that. And the school librarian one day directed me to a book that essentially it was about underwater demolition teams, the history of the Navy SEALs kind of before, maybe even before the Navy SEALs had their name or just as they were getting that name. Um, and so, you know, I was enamored with wanting to be a Navy SEAL you know, at, at that age. But I also was really loved working on cars um, and thought maybe I would just go into the family car repair business um, and stuff like that. Then in high school, you know, I had a guidance counselor suggesting that maybe I would be good at, at being an accountant, which something I would never like doing now as an adult. Um, but that was kind of where my guidance counselor was pushing me. But I had a mentor who was a fascinating man. He lived in Doylestown. He was very active in the Chamber of Commerce, uh, West Merritt. Um, he, he died back in the 90s um, at, at an early age. But he was a labor negotiator for the state of New Jersey. And so he really encouraged me to do anything I wanted to do. And he arranged for... Um, he always pushed the envelope on things, being a, a kind of a labor negotiator, type A personality. He decided that I should have two career days in school, that I should go with him and see how state government worked in New Jersey. So I spent a day with him there. And then I spent a day at the Daily Intelligencer um, and uh, active chamber member, Eric Eberhardt. And I laugh about when I was in high school, I got to go around with him for part of the day doing photography in the community. Uh, and then I was in the newsroom opening press releases and stuff like that. And ultimately I did get a degree in journalism, but went to work in corporate communications instead of uh, working in, in journalism itself. So how did you get from corporate communications to doing what you're doing now, working like with different clients and yeah. So, yeah. So, so good question. I was working in corporate communications and marketing communications um, and had a great degree of success. I worked for companies like GE and Prudential. And then I, I worked for a Philadelphia area company called Provident Mutual that no longer exists. And uh, at that time, I was going to school for my master's in organizational dynamics um, at Penn. And my boss said to me one day, well, I had two bosses. One of the bosses said to me, you know what, you really should start your own business because you work too hard and you care too much about things. You know, the rest of us don't push so hard. You know, we could pay money just like you do, but you should really start your own business. And I had always liked the independent idea of a business, 
But I also saw how hard it was for my parents to run their own business. And I always thought I would never have my own business. So in grad school, I took a course in entrepreneurship and then other courses, business related uh, about business growth strategies and stuff like that. And I started to think I can do this. Um, and I was ready to go out and give it a try. And then the company I was working for at the time reorganized and offered me a severance package. So I actually got kind of like a, a power up of several months salary that enabled me to go out and start my own business. That always has me feeling about like the power of the universe. I always feel like it's all aligned, Chuck, that you were just a gentle um, nudge. Um, so I like to ask kind of superlatives that are just these random questions. Okay. <laughs> um, a little snapshot. So first of all, are you reading anything now? Or are you in the midst of reading thing? Or did you just read something? I'm just curious. So I'm reading probably like five things right now. Um, and one is, um, gosh, I can't remember the exact title. The author is uh, Kelly Lee Steiker. She is a, uh, an OBGYN from Minnesota who I met via Clubhouse and we connected on LinkedIn. She had a very difficult childhood um, and kind of pulled herself up by the bootstraps, uh, went to college, uh, went to medical school uh, and has an amazing life story. So I'm reading that right now. And I think the title might be something like Deliver, right? Which is kind of a, a play on, you know, being an OBGYN. Um, and and that's, that's a really good book. Um, I'm also uh, reading, um, finishing reading, um, The Body Keeps the Score, which is a book about uh, trauma and how trauma affects our health. Um, so yeah, and, and I've got a couple of others that are percolating uh, that I have stored. I, I signed up for Kindle Unlimited, which gives me 10 books a month for uh, like 10 bucks. And then you can just return the book. So I've got like a whole stack plus other books that I, I have purchased that are waiting on my Kindle for me. So I used to ask this question that said, what is your favorite book? But that's just too hard. So I just now have been asking what book has made an impact on you that really just stands out? Well, Amanda, I cheated because I listened to your other podcast. Ah, so you knew. Good. And and I'm going to cheat even further because I'm going to tell you that I couldn't nail it down to one because um, there's so many great books that I love. But there's a book I read when I was in high school called Hope for the Flowers um, by Trina Paulus. And the book is an analogy or an allegory about caterpillars climbing up to this huge caterpillar to the sky because they want to be high. They want to get up high. They want to rise to the top. And what happens is the more the caterpillars claw at each other, uh, the more caterpillars that fall off to the bottom. And then one caterpillar realizes not to keep trying to climb the caterpillar pillar, but to just go off and become a butterfly and soar as high as it can. Um, oh, I wonder if I read that. And it's, it's a great book. Well, you went to Catholic school, school, so you probably did. It was, yeah. it was uh, published by Paulus Press. 
Okay. Um, and so that's good. The other book I really, and I won't go into as much detail, Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell. Um, and in particular, he goes into the story of how Sandra Bland, who was a college graduate interviewing for a job, ended up getting arrested for a traffic ticket, put in jail. And two days later, if we believe the official account, she took her own life in jail. And so he talks about the dangers and the benefits of talking to strangers. Um, and, and it's a powerful book and it gets into uh, racism in America and opportunities and connecting with people. It's great. And then finally, if you want a really deep, heady read, Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. Um, and that book basically puts forth that most people, even smart people who have uh, all of the data available to them often make bad decisions about things. And what I love about this book is I was reading it and part of his research included how doctors make decisions. And at the time, my wife um, had been recently diagnosed with cancer and she's 100% cancer-free or no evidence of disease as they say now, but she was getting very conflicting medical advice um, as to what her treatment course should be. And in this book, it points out that you should not ignore critical data. And one doctor was recommending that we really look at the data for her disease. And another doctor was saying, you know, you should do this other treatment even though it's not proven. And we went with the data and that turned out to be the right decision. So, so very different, very different books. Um, if there's a common theme, it's basically how to look at things differently and you know, not just settle into your comfort zone of what you think things should be. Very interesting thread, because I always do see you as an independent thinker, actually. I, I see you as like fierce, fiercely independent, actually. So that is really- um, Stubborn's really another word for it. Okay. <laughs> When's your <laughs> birthday? What month? Uh, March. I just want to say, oh, so are you a Pisces? No, I'm an Aries, end of the month. I don't know what an Aries does. I have very limited knowledge. <laughs> I, I, I don't either. And I, I will uh, cause some dismay for people, but I'm not a huge believer in horoscopes. Well, when it lines up with the way I want to think, I'm a huge believer. <laughs> Confirmation bias. <laughs> Confirmation bias, Amanda. That's right. Um, so what about like a Netflix series or a movie or something that you've either watched or are watching that has made an impact? Okay, so this one will probably be one out of left field and you, you are directly in the cross sites for this show because of the age of your children. Um, I think one of the smartest, well done, most beneficial shows right now is sex education on Netflix. Um, and it is about um, uh, an English high school where all the kids are obsessed with trying to figure things out about sex and the adults trying to repress them. And one student's mom is a sex therapist um, and she has her own relationship challenges. So, what makes me think this is great, and it's easy for me to say because my kids are 30, 28, and 22, um, 
But I think this would be an amazing show if a parent wanted to really have transparency with their high school age students or, or children to watch this show with them. Um, and, and, but I would recommend any, any, any adults watching it first and see whether you can handle the topics with your kids. Um, and what makes me really think this is um, my 22 year old son who is uh, not shy to bring up any topic with me um, a few months back told me what a horrible job I did guiding him through puberty. Um, and he was like, you didn't give me all the information I needed. There was so much more that I wanted to know. Um, and I didn't ask you and you didn't tell me. And he was like, I, I was feeling very backed into a corner. And what I blurted out was, um, and I'm proud and ashamed of this. You are not some kind of puberty martyr. None <laughs> of us got the information we wanted when we were going through puberty. My parents <laughs> didn't talk to me. They didn't tell me anything. I had to figure it out and hear it from my friends. At least I sat down and had some conversations with you. So right. That is really funny because, you know, so my first daughter, I thought I did a good job, but she thought she could get pregnant from a piggyback ride because somebody told her that. <laughs> so I feel like I, so when I learned that, I thought, oh, I better do a better job with my other two. And I sat them down and they were so shell-shocked because I went way too far with it. <laughs> I just, I don't know what happened, but I just kind of laid it out in such a way that they were like screaming and covering their ears. <laughs> so, I, <laughs> so you know what, I always say, I need three more kids. Like, I feel like, okay, I, let, I think I can do this now. Give me three more. I think I get it. <laughs> um, so what for you, Chuck, is a So we had a little Wi-Fi glitch. So I'm going to ask you this question again, Chuck. What is your idea of a perfect day? Yeah, great question. Um, so I usually get up pretty early in the morning and I'm the first one up. We have two dogs. And so that means I take the dogs out. Um, I feed them, I take them out again, I get my breakfast, and then usually while I eat breakfast, uh, my guilty pleasure is to kind of go through social media. Um, I usually check uh, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Clubhouse, um, and TikTok, um, probably in that order. And mainly I want to see what's going on in the lives of my friends, kind of what's happening. Um, I subscribe to... Um, the Washington Post. Okay, so uh, another Wi-Fi glitch, but I subscribe to the Washington Post, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Philadelphia Inquirer, Atlanta Journal Constitution. And I usually check those uh, quickly just for a quick news summary. Um, and sometimes I'll go um, onto news sites as well, um, you know, like broadcast news sites, just to see what's going on in the world. Um, and then I get down to work. Um, if I don't have meetings scheduled, I love writing um, or preparing some stuff for clients. Um, we live in a nice kind of country area, so I'll often look outside at the birds, uh, take the dogs out again, play with the dogs. Um, and then, you know, as the day wears on, I do my work. Uh, evening, I always make dinner uh, or Amy makes dinner. And uh, 
then oftentimes in the evening, I'll jump into a clubhouse room um, and have some discussions with people, watch a little TV, do some reading, uh, and that's about it. So, you know, that might sound boring to some people, but, um, you know, I like my days to be kind of filled with, with learning and connecting and seeing what's going on in the world. So if a day does not contain this, it feels like a wasted day. What? Uh, learning. or a purpose or something you kind of that propels you throughout your day throughout your life really yeah so I've, I've always been so my kind of my driving mission purpose has always been a quest to learn um, and understand and you know I've, I've expressed this in different ways um, over time and last year after getting so sick and really thinking about it um, I, I've kind of broadened that a little bit because I feel like learning for learning's sake is not just, um, is, does not have the value that I'd like to have in the world. So I really broke it down into three things, uh, learn, care, and act. Um, and that fits well with the coaching and consulting I do. Um, you know, some coaches, their style is just to ask questions constantly. Um, and that's certainly part of what I do, but I also consider um, coaching to be a valuable teaching opportunity um, for me to help develop the people that, I, that I'm coaching. And in order to do that, I really need to care. And one of the things that I really teach leaders to do or encourage leaders to do is to really care about their people. Um, so, so I kind of divide my coaching into, you know, if you're a manager or a leader in an organization, there are two things that you need to do. Uh, one, and it's what most managers spend almost all their time on, is task management. Checking in, did you do this? Did you do that? This went well, that didn't go well. But I tell the people I coach that there's an equal, at least equal part to it, and that is people care. You have to take care of your people. You have to develop your people, um, and you have to, have to do that. So, you know, for me, it is the learning so that I can share caring about people and then taking action to do things and to share what I'm learning. That's great because I do agree that a lot of coaches, it's just the whole um, way that they coach is to just relentlessly ask questions and really you know, everybody now seems to be a coach and there seems to be kind of this template that people are running their online businesses using this kind of template and you can, it's almost a cookie cutter, you know? So your way sounds so um, rooted in more understanding and a quest for more understanding as well. Yeah, and some of my clients tell me that my approach reminds them of therapy. Um, but I'm always careful to qualify. Yes, it's business therapy. You know, it's, oh, we're trying, funny. we're trying to, you know, teach some, some, um, some coping mechanisms or business strategies along with helping them discover 
what the challenges are and maybe what some of the solutions are to what's going on in their business. Business therapy, that's a great tagline. Um, so what about, I'm a quote gal. <laughs> I love quotes. Do you have, do you like quotes? Do you use quotes or do you have a, like a mantra or a favorite quote? Yeah, there are, are multiple quotes that I like. Um, and so I'll just, I'll just give you one. Um, one thing that I keep coming back to is the Jewel song, Hands. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but um, um, the, the kind of the ending line of it is in the end, only kindness matters. And I tell myself that every day, um, you know, in the end, only kindness matters. And it's, you know, it's really how we make the greatest impact on other people. And kindness isn't just a feeling, right? It's, you know, it's a demonstrated action. It's doing things to help people. Um, it's a state of mind. Um, and, and so I just think about how much better off the whole world would be if everybody really endeavored to act from a place of, place of kindness. That is really beautiful. And that actually is one of the questions I was gonna ask you, what you hope or wish others knew or would do. And is that, is that your answer to that? Yeah, I mean, I think I think that fits pretty well um, because, you know, I've just seen and experienced so many unkind things um, in life. And, you know, you think about some of the biggest issues going on, you know, bullying is rampant in our schools. Um, political discourse in our country, you know, is in the trash. Um, people are suffering from poverty. There's so much violence in our world. Um, and, you know, if we really just tried to come back to kindness, um, you know, maybe it's old fashioned, but, you know, do, do unto others as, as you would have them do unto you. Um, I mean, there's, there's just such good wisdom in that. Um, and, and the world has gotten to be such a crazy place. Um, you know, and I really do believe that in the end, only kindness matters. I think that that is a great ending point for our discussion, Chuck. What do you think? Uh, I think that is absolutely fine. And uh, Amanda, I just want to put a plug in here for you. I've told you this before, but not everybody knows this. Um, after I got involved with the chamber and got to know you, um, I made a decision that anytime Amanda asks me to do anything, um, if it's possible for me to do it, I will do it because I know your heart is in the right place. Um, I know you really care about the, the people and the businesses um, in the community. Um, and I know that you will not make unreasonable asks on people. So, you know, I hope everybody kind of takes that to heart and knows that if Amanda is asking, if there's any way you can say yes, say yes. Thank you so much. And I don't remember you exactly saying that. And now I, I, I think I might just ask you for everything. Well, I, <laughs> when I, I, when I first, do, Chuck. <laughs> well, when I first told you that, I told you, don't put me in a spot where I have to say no, right? Be reasonable. <laughs> and you are, you are. That's but, right. um, but, but no, Amanda, I well, love you. I you. love what you're doing. 
Uh, I'm going to be tuning in to all the podcasts because I love what you're doing to connect people and, and build bridges between souls. Thank you so much, Chuck. Hey, thanks for listening. And thank you so much to Billy Aronson, who gifted me with his wonderful music and even coming up with the word connections for this podcast. Thanks to my bestie, Roseanne Griffiths. She serves as the official advisor and unofficial associate producer of this podcast. Thank you to all of my friends and family who let me bounce ideas off of them. And to you guys who listen, please let me know your thoughts, your ideas, your questions. You can reach me at soulfullife at gmail.com. That's S like solar, O-L-F-U-L-L-I-F-E at gmail.com.